let's actually look at results. Not averages, but the actual results. Hello and welcome to the Durham Talents Channel. My name is Jesse Durham. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing averages, actual results, and what that has to do with infinite banking. Here's a question. If I have money in the market, let's say, and in a given year I earn 10%, and in the following year I lose 10%, here's my question. Where am I? In the first year I gained and earned 10%. In the second year I lost 10%. Where am I? See, our natural inclination is to say, well, we're right back where we started because you earned 10% and then you lost 10%. So it's all good. It was a wash, but we're right back where we started. Not so. Run the figures on that. For simple math, I'm going to do this real quick. Let's say for easy numbers, I had $10 in the market. And if there were a gain of 10%, well, 10% of $10 one more dollar, I have $11 total. And we could talk about the value of this, this being hands-free earning, but then of course we'd have to talk about the downside. So lots of pros and cons. I'm not trying to dive too deep on whether to be in the market or not, but just follow me on this principle of math. I earn 10%, we're at $11. Now in the following year, let's say I lose 10%. Well, $11 minus 10% is $1.10. So, no, we do not arrive right back at that $10 that we started with. In fact, we have now $9.90. So, let's not get caught up on the superficial look at earning a percentage, losing a percentage, but let's actually look at results. Not averages, but the actual results. Now, I'm not going to be making a suggestion one way or another to be in the market, not to be in the market. I'm here to promote the idea that you can become your own banker. So I just simply want to address averages and actual results from performance with an infinite banking lens, according to R. Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. So having practiced this idea of becoming your own banker for seven years now, I view everything with that lens anyway. And I think it's worthwhile to discuss something that many of us approach... I don't even want to say lackadaisically, but uninformed, perhaps uninformed would be, and I will just speak for myself. I'm not going to speak for anyone else. I don't know what you know, but when I had retirement programs and 401ks and things like that, and I actively contributed, contributed to those plans for years and years, I really did not know. In fact, when I'm presenting the idea of becoming your own banker to folks, I'll, I'll challenge them simply on the point, just provoke thought that they probably don't know anything about their qualified plan other than one of two things, perhaps, or both of those. Maybe, and maybe I knew, whether or not 
my performance was up or down each quarter based off of the piece of paper that I got in the mail. Maybe I knew whether the number went up or went down each quarter. And maybe I knew, and maybe you know, whether you have some sort of mild, moderate, or more aggressive setting on your investing. But really, other than that, I didn't know anything about my retirement programs and my qualified plans and such. I did learn more as I got to points in my life where I wanted to be able to access the capital, access the money that I had invested. And then I learned firsthand about taxes and penalties and such and what that could look like. 10% penalties here and 30 plus percent taxes there. I learned what the limitations were. So again, I'm not making a case one way or another to be in the market or not to be in the market. You decide that for yourself. Because I know that there are plenty of folks out there that will have differing views and that can be successful in their own right. We would have Warren Buffett's for example, who would say buy and hold, you know, look at a company for what it is and what it's doing and is that likely to change? I mean, chewing gum is perhaps not going to change, I've heard him say, and this is me paraphrasing, based on technology. I mean, people are going to want to physically have access to chewing gum, for example. So perhaps investing there makes sense for a long period of time and Coca-Cola and other examples that we have. And others are looking for more risky situations because perhaps there is a possibility of greater gains for some short-term action. So, and, and then of course there are folks who say bond stocks, mutual funds, IRAs, 401ks, all those, those paper assets they're for a certain class or category of person. Robert Kiyosaki talks about, you know, if you're not going to focus on education, if you're not going to go hands-on with your own investing, then perhaps the best you can do is, as an employee or self-employed person, to invest in those paper assets, although he doesn't personally do that himself. So regardless of where we're at in our take on investments and this this idea of average returns and, and let's keep talking about this so average returns what have what have i heard what have you heard said let me know down in the comment section what have you heard said about investments i've heard folks talk about well the stock market has a 12 percent average rate of return well what does that mean how did we get at that and i've i've looked up the numbers of what different markets so let's say the s p 500 over the past several, several years, and, and you can look this up and you can see when was there an up year, when was there a down year, what was that percentage. And when we hear it purported that there's a 12% or so average rate of return on the, the market, I think we need to look deeper than just take that at face value. Is that fair? Um, and you don't have to take anything that I say at face value. I'm a big proponent of educating yourself. The whole idea here is for me to educate folks that are looking to become their own bankers to help empower folks with everything that we do here on the YouTube channel and the podcast to be able to learn about becoming their own banker so that they can finance whatever it is that they're doing already. 
and will want to do. So it doesn't matter whether you're a business owner, whether you're an employee pursuing your career, whether you're an investor, it doesn't matter what it is that you're doing. Everything's financed. There are only a couple of ways to finance things. Either you borrow on someone else's terms and conditions, pay them interest, go through that process of being qualified or not, or you save up money, you amass capital somewhere, and then liquidate that when you have enough to procure what it is you want to do, and you lose the opportunity to have earned interest on your money, to have compounded interest on your capital. And the third is to become your own banker. When I was talking about looking deeper than just face value, let me return to that particular point. When someone says the market averages 12% return, well, it's easy to think, well, no matter what I had in the market, 12%, awesome, great. But again, if we look deeper than that, we start looking at the characteristics of how that comes to be. We just have to be aware of, I would say the characteristics first of whatever entity that it is that we're going to use. What risk am I assuming? What guarantees are there? What control do I have? What is the growth opportunity? And, and those types of characteristics, I, th I think it would behoove us to look at the characteristics of what it is that we're considering or evaluating. And again, folks are going to have different tolerances, let's say on risk, for example. Some folks are going to have a high risk tolerance and others are going to have a low risk tolerance. And then that's where something like guarantees comes into play because what are the guarantees of a 401k, for example? You know, well, one is that it won't go below zero, but that's not very encouraging. And when I heard that for the first time, I had a 401k and I, I thought, well, well, okay. And, and because again, all that I knew was that I'd set mine on one of three overall settings, my 401k. And I, I looked at the papers once a quarter to see whether the number was going up or down. Sure, I did that. But other than that, I didn't know anything about that, although I was actively contributing to those programs and plans. And every year on a yearly basis, someone someone from, you know, these different entities that I, that I worked with and for would, would have somebody come in every year and say, well, you should be doing this and you should be doing this and you should be doing this. And I was just in the herd um, doing what we were told to be doing. And I just, I was not an, an informed person about such things. So more on, more on the considerations that we should have for, for these programs and plans and, and ideas when thinking on what does average mean? What does actual mean? Taxes for starter. Let's start with taxes. Robert Kiyosaki says that taxes are the largest eroder to wealth. R. Nelson Nash talked about onerous taxation, um, in particular when he discussed Willie Sutton's law, the, uh, which is the law that states that folks would like to deprive us of our money, whether that's illegally, such as Willie Sutton, famous bank robber, or legally i.e. the IRS. So if taxes are, if we, if we could arrive at a conclusion that taxes very well may be the largest eroder to wealth, and we are considering 
or even implementing the idea that we're going to amass funds for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years and, and, and let that grow and compound, we must understand that the taxes must grow and compound also. Now, again, it doesn't matter what type of plan we have. Be sure taxes are going to be paid. Taxes are going to be paid. What should be rendered unto Caesar is going to be rendered unto Caesar one way or the other. So, taxes. I mean, I'm just saying, when I was looking at that number that I received on that quarterly statement, I wasn't thinking about what <laughs> what that real number was going to look like if I wanted to access that money then, or in the future, or in the future. Because I know as soon as I say access that money right now, well, you're not supposed to be accessing that money. It's supposed to be your nest egg. It's supposed to be, you know, all, all these other things. And again, if you want to build a nest egg, build a nest egg. What I'm saying is I had not considered what it would cost me to access and what I was risking and everything that was involved with what my actual number could be might be, would be, okay, taxes. We should not overlook taxes. Let's also talk about fees. Consider this up, because I didn't. If our plan is doing as well as we want it to, and I hope that if you have one, I hope that it is. I hope that it is. I hope it's doing better than you could have anticipated. Regardless, let's consider the, the fact that if your plan is doing well, you pay fees. If your plan is doing poorly, you pay fees. And the fees, like the taxes, they are going to compound. Through the ups, through the downs, fees are going to be there, regardless for you. The consumer, remember this uh, This truth the consumer pays for everything the guy that was walked out to the front of the room every year it's like he has to he has to earn his living and i'm i'm not trying to knock him or any 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 other financial professional i'm just trying to educate us and ask good questions and consider some things together the consumer pays for everything so the consumer pays for taxes is what i'm saying consumer pays for the fees and, and, of course, those fees are going to compound over the lifetime of this plan also. So, because that's the, whole, that's the whole purpose, right? That's what we're told is that we'll park your money here, set it and forget it. 10, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is, contribute X percentage of your income into this. Don't touch it and let it compound. Okay, well, if that's happening, best case scenario, again... Just be aware that taxes are an implicate, and I'm not giving tax advice, I'm not giving investment advice, but I'm saying taxes exist, taxes are paid, also fees that we consider fees. And then once you throw in, again, of course, all these other attributes of this relationship, such as the risk that we're assuming, are there guarantees, are there not guarantees, what level of control do we have, what level of access do we have, or not have, what does this look like? Now, 
we haven't even begun to, to, to truly talk about the banking function and how everything is financed, but everything is financed and investments are included in that. So whether you're getting average results or actual results, everything is financed, including investments. Now, I'm, about, I'm going to introduce a pop quiz here. What I want us to do is we're going to take time for an exercise to evaluate how we could superficially be looking at some things. Even the folks that like the numbers, like there are plenty of folks out there, well, Jesse, show me the numbers. You're just talking to me right now, you know, about principles and about concepts. Yes, I am, and decidedly so. And it's not that I'm hesitant to look at market results or or policies when talking about properly structured whole whole life policies with mutual companies that pay dividends you know getting to illustrations even with with clients and prospective clients that's that's at the end of what my process looks like because i start like nash started in his book with human problems and concepts and principles and you know the the characteristics that it takes to evaluate something like this idea of becoming your own banker needing to use logic and reason and imagination so we are talking in principles and we are talking in concepts but i am going to give us a quick exercise here where we will look at some numbers and we're going to take a quick look and then we're going to come back and make another run at the same exercise, but I'm going to provide some new information. So give me some time for that. All right, here are our instructions. On the next slide, you're going to be presented with a sheet of random numbers. Now, starting with the number one and going up, I want you to find as many numbers in order from one going up as you can, find as many of those numbers as you can in the next 30 seconds. So, on your marks, get set, go. Time is up. Okay, how did you do? How many numbers did you find? I hope it is a big number. What we're going to do for the second part of this exercise is I'm actually going to show you the exact same sheet of numbers and give you a small piece of information to help you along this second run at this exercise. I want you to start all over with the same instructions of counting from one to as high of a number as you can in order and I'm going to give you a pattern to look for starting in the top left of the sheet going to the right and also from the top of the sheet to the bottom I'm going to want you to find those numbers in order so starting in the top left of the sheet you're going to go from left to middle to right and then you're going to go a little bit lower on the sheet and you're going to go left to middle to right and then finally you will get to the third and last row at the bottom of the sheet so there will only be one number per section on the sheet. 
from left to right, top to bottom, nine sections total, one number per section. And when you get to the ninth section, you're going to start back over, just like reading a book, going back to the top left and start all over. And you're going to see just how high of a number you can reach, counting in order. Those are your instructions. On your marks, get set, go. And for the last time with this exercise, our time is up. What I want to know now is, did you perform better knowing now a strategy, having a plan, having some discernment about this exercise and how to be more efficient? Well, I think this is a great ice-breaking exercise, and I use it very often with live presentations and when speaking one-on-one -on -one with individuals just to open minds to realizing more about the environment that we're operating in. Therefore, this relates very well to the current financial paradigm, such as this, and contrasting that with what Nash said when he said, if you know what's going on, you'll know what to do. Well, by knowing the layout and having a strategy and a plan, we were able to go back to that exact same situation, that exact same exercise, and perform much, much better. Now, to preface, let me quote Mr. James Nethery. James Nethery said that if you understand the concepts, the details don't matter. And if you don't understand the concepts, the details don't matter. Hear me say that. I'm, I'm quoting James Nethery. He says, if you understand the concepts, the details don't matter. And if you don't understand the concepts, the details don't matter. Are you catching on? It's a beautiful saying, and, and I want to give credit to him for having, having said it. That's so, so true. And that's why this exercise, this pop quiz, this exercise of looking at this number sheet is so, so very important because at first glance, I mean, I, I, I feel in looking at this sheet, I remember when I looked at this sheet myself for the first time and it's just like how I felt with paying into a 401k, for example. We were, everyone was doing it. I was giving it my best effort. So I thought, I thought I was coming at the exercise with both eyes open. But again, the most simple piece of information can make a drastic, drastic difference in results. And that's why this is so pertinent in discussing average results or what's purported to be average results versus actual results results. And that's 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 indicative of this idea that you can become your own banker. That's the most simple thing to say. You can become, you can become your own, all right? Do it for yourself, the ultimate do it yourself project. 
banker. Now, we know what all those words mean. You can become, you can turn into, morph into, assume the role of your own, you're doing it for yourself, banker. You can become your own banker. That's the most simple thing, and yet it's a paradigm shift. Just like this pop quiz number sheet exercise. When you understand the con again, James Nethery, when you understand the concepts, the details don't matter. And if you don't understand the concepts, the details don't matter. Okay? Now, let's take let's take a moment here and actually run through another exercise. So for for again, all my visual folks are going to be loving this. And I present this question in 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 a in an introduction to the infinite banking concept many many times let's presume that i'm your local commercial banker let's say that you have your checking and your saving accounts here with us at the local commercial bank and i find out you tell me you mention it to me it's time to get a new car and you're going to do that so you have twenty five thousand dollars in the bank I mean, and think about this. Don't we already have direct deposits set up where just our money just it goes to the bank first? That's the very first thing. So here's here's what we're gonna here's what we're gonna evaluate here is we've got this twenty five thousand dollars at the bank. I as your local banker say, Well, we're gonna give you four percent on that. So don't you know, don't don't use that money. Don't take that 25000 to go out and buy the next car. Actually, leave that here in the local commercial bank. We'll pay you 4%. Now, I know a bank's not paying 4%, and don't get caught up in the numbers. Again, remember what we talked about, the concepts and the details, okay? This number could be smaller. It could be bigger. So could all these other numbers that I'm going to mention. Just catch on to the principle that I'm trying to point out here. You've got $25,000 earning 4% interest. I know there's not a bank doing that, but let's just say that I could do that. And let's say that we at the bank would make a loan to you, $25,000, and the loan would be at 6%. Again, don't get bogged down in the numbers. Just follow the principle. We'd give you a loan for 6%, and I'm telling you as your local commercial banker that you could earn on $25,000 at 4% and make money more so than if you were to liquidate that by us giving you a loan for the 25000 and paying 6%. Well, right here, if I just paused and said, well, that can't be so. I mean, I'd be losing 2%, right? I mean, if I'm earning 4% and I'm paying 6%, I'm losing 2%. How am I going to come out on top? Okay, well, if we run those actual numbers, you'll see that the loan, if you did take that commercial loan, at 6%, you'd pay just under $29,000 total. So there's going to be interest dollars paid to the commercial bank. But also at the same time, if you were to leave your $25,000 growing uninterrupted, uninterrupted, then you are going to earn over $30,000, or to a total of over $30,000. Now, where did that $1,000-plus come from? From uninterrupted compound interest. 
So I told you right, as the local commercial banker, you could leave your 25, growing it. And again, remember, those numbers could be different. They could be smaller or bigger, right? And the 25,000 in the bank, that could be a smaller number. The principle applies. The power of compound interest. Einstein, Albert Einstein, said that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. So I told you right. When we look beyond that superficial level of, oh, but I'm losing 2%, aren't I? No. No. <laughs> the compounding of interest is able to take place because it's not interrupted. You took the capitalization of your $25,000 applied compound interest, earned more at 4%, even while paying 6%. So this is another great exercise to look deeper. Look deeper than just face value. Look deeper than just, again, like I started this video asking, well, if in one given year you earn 10% and then the next year you lose 10% on a particular investment, isn't that a wash? Isn't that, aren't you just back to where you were? It's it's all good. Nothing, nothing gained, nothing lost. No, no, that's not how that works. That's not how that works. Remember the number sheet. Remember the difference with, with a key a key piece of information that changes the, the paradigm, changes how we look, how we approach that particular issue. And then also now considering compound interest. Now, the conventional wisdom, okay, in talking about average market, experiences versus actual experiences. I mean, we're talking probably in this paradigm that you're very, very aware of, of the thinking of building a nest egg, of setting aside a certain percentage of your income on a regular basis, of the, the long haul, being in things for the long haul, and hearing voices in the vast financial entertainment world that say, well, the only people that get hurt on a roller coaster are the ones that, that jump out, right? Meaning, well, if you're in the market, just be in it for the long haul, set it and forget it. You know, you're only going to hurt. It's only a paper, that one. It's only a paper loss. Guys, I was on the phone the other day with a gentleman who had seen a loss of some 50-something thousand dollars at a particular time, and we were having a conversation about that and other things. Uh, pertaining to becoming your own banker. And a paper loss, I understand. I understand the thinking behind it's only a paper loss. That's, it's, that's true. That is true. It's only a paper loss. My question is, is what do you say to the person who's at a point in their life where they need to be drawing passive income from this investment that they've invested in, let's say for the past 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And it just happens to be that dot-com bubble. Or it just happens to be the Great Depression. Or it just happens to be the housing bubble. Or it just happens to be, I mean, and there are all these different examples. In fact, I'm, I'm going to take a look at some examples right here. But what happens when it's someone's time 
and they're counting on and they're relying on and they're dependent on being able to access those funds. Here's, here's what I'm trying to point out. A dip in any given year doesn't necessarily just mean a dip in that year. If I have a certain amount of capital in the market and I also need to be withdrawing a certain amount to live on, well, the amount that I'm withdrawing to live on can now not continue that compounding effort. That capital has been removed from that entity and it can no longer in the future contribute to the potential gain. Are you following what I'm saying? All the power that I'm withdrawing out will not contribute to the future of that plan, of that system, of that entity. What if that bad time continues? Not only do we have the potential for a down in a market, and it happens. It happens. There is this thing of a boom-bust cycle. And if I'm needing to access capital from my system in a down time, not only is the market and the performance overall going down, but I'm needing to access funds. And let's not even begin to talk about could we access funds without impediment and penalty and, and taxes before the appropriate time when we could do so without penalties. But let's just say someone is at the age where they can, and, and let's also not get to the point where we have to say that we're taking mandatory uh, withdrawals because that happens as well. I mean, what if you did want to leave it in so that it could continue? I mean, what if, again, and I hope it is for you if you have one. I hope it's going great. But what if you're being told that, no, you have to take so much out when you'd rather be able to leave it in so that it could continue to compound because over time, there's more to work with, hopefully. But what I'm saying is, if there's a downturn and you're experiencing a loss a paper loss, but you're actually needing to make withdrawals as well to subsist on. Do you understand the compounding that's taking place in a negative way on that approach now? Okay, well, quickly, and I'm going to get to some examples, but quickly let me get to the very reality that a properly structured whole life policy with a mutual company that pays dividends is an appreciating asset. Now, again, let me be really clear here that I'm not talking about investments when I'm talking about policies. Having a whole life insurance policy is having life insurance. But a properly structured policy with a mutual company has all the attributes of the ideal appreciating asset. So I'm not trying to compare apples and oranges here. See, a policy can be used to finance investments. So I'm not saying don't make investments if you want to make investments. I'm not saying don't have a 401k or an IRA or mutual funds or bonds or whatever it is, that, stocks, whatever it is that you would want to do. Do what you want to do. But I am saying that all those things are financed. And I'm saying that what makes a properly structured policy the ultimate appreciating asset is that it is an entity that you own and control wherein you can access capital 
in a known interest environment. It's perfectly collateralized because it's collateralized by the death benefit of that policy. And you can access capital that does not interrupt the compounding of the premiums that you've paid. I hope that I'm not speaking over you. I mean, if this is your first introduction to the infinite banking concept, I encourage you to read R. Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. But you can use these properly structured policies for whatever it is that you choose to do. Now, what I would suggest is start with whatever it is that you're already doing, whatever your career is, whatever it is your business is. If you are an investor, well, the next thing that would make sense is to be in the business of financing that thing, whatever that happens to be. So let's let's talk about let's talk about some examples. J.C. Penney, during the Depression, the Great Depression, okay, he used policy loans to be able to cover things like payroll. Now, you're probably aware of the J.C. Penney store line. Well, Mr. J.C. Penney used policy loans from Whole Life Policies to be able to cover payroll for his business during the Great Depression. Now, what was happening in the stock market, average or actual or otherwise? Okay. And again, I'm not trying to say be in the market, don't be in the market. I'm not giving investing advice, but I am saying it is beneficial to account for your need of finance. And if you can have more control, who doesn't want more control? If you can have less limitations and penalties and hidden fees and exposure to the marketplace for your financing. Now, you can, you can pursue as much exposure to the marketplace, volatility in the marketplace as you want with your investments. Do that according to what you want to do. But for financing those things, not being exposed to the market is very, very beneficial and lots of other attributes. Someone else. Foster Farms. Foster Farms from California. That was a company that was started who now provide products worldwide during World War II. And it was also a down market year. So World War II is on. It's a down market year. Also, Disneyland. Disneyland was launched the same year that the Vietnam War started. So Walt Disney has this idea to make a family-friendly, clean, beautiful theme park. Couldn't get the traditional financing to be able to do everything they need to do to launch this idea. He accessed, I believe it was two policy loans from, from two policies that he had to be able to launch Disneyland. And, and I'm just trying to give some context of what was going on in the world. Okay, Ray Kroc, Ray Kroc bought McDonald's from the McDonald's brothers. At the time, I think, that, yep, 1961, JFK was advising families, American families, to build bomb shelters if they could because of Cold War and everything involved there. And, and here's Ray Kroc starting McDonald's, as we know it today, by uh, buying these brothers out of the business with loans from policies. Uh, next, I wrote down Miss Doris Christopher, uh, who started the Pampered Chef. My, my wife loves the Pampered Chef. She's bought stuff from them for years. It's, it's great products. Also, uh, I'll 
point out that Pampered Chef was uh, eventually procured by Berkshire Hathaway, um, who you would associate with Warren Buffett, perhaps the greatest investor of, of all time. So, very interesting. Well, the same year that Miss Christopher launched the Pampered Chef, Mount St. Helens erupted. There was a massive heat wave in the southern United States. Over a thousand people had died. And the MGM Grand in Las Vegas had burnt down. So again, I'm just I'm pointing out that out out in the world, while these things were going on, folks were deciding to to launch businesses, to build theme parks, okay, to make acquisitions, to pursue goals and dreams that they had for themselves. And then, of course, there's there's Nash's story where Nash was living life, doing things, had a background as a forester. He was doing some things in real estate. There was a big there was a big bust in real estate in the 80s. And he found himself with uh, half a million dollar or so property financed at twenty three and a half percent interest, which is. Uh, it's not quite $70,000 a year in interest alone that he would have to pay. Found himself with this half a million dollar investment conventionally financed and he was trying to figure out how to, how to get out of this mess and he realized all these ideal characteristics of the whole life policies that he had but he likewise realized that the limiting factor was undercapitalization. He needed to have been paying significantly larger premiums, and he was paying pretty, pretty considerable premiums for just plain Jane vanilla life insurance at the time. Not a properly structured policy such as I personally own and that I write for customers and clients and friends now. But he realized that he just needed to be paying higher premiums so he'd have access to capital in the way that I've described here. And and my own experience. Okay, so I picked up R. Nelson Nash's book in 2015. We got a, a late 2015. We got our first policy in 2016. Uh, we currently have, my wife and I, six policies, a system of six policies that we've procured over the past seven years. And, you know, when we came across this idea and we paid a significant premium to get our first policy started, our very first policy started, and it probably wasn't six months later that we decided to get another policy on my wife and add to our system, but we started paying significant premiums for, for our cash flows at the time. And we immediately started tackling things like student loan debt. I still I still had student loan debt. And we eradicated that from our lives, finally and, and ultimately. And we financed family vacations that we began to take. And it, we just did more and more things, business things, family things, things that we were going to do anyway. But we, but we began incorporating this philosophy of becoming our own bankers. We've not arrived yet. I mean, we still have much more that we plan to do. But consistently over the course of time, we have created 
actual results for ourselves by accounting for our need of finance. So I hope that this conversation about the marketplace and 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 investing and actual results versus average results because we're told that hey the average results is this at 12 percent and the market just goes up and hey you know you only get burned if you try and bail out you only get hurt if you try and jump out while the roller coaster is going down but if you're someone that's looking for guarantees if you're someone that's looking for control if you're looking for no additional risk to what it is that you want to do without having to work any harder, then consider the idea of becoming your own banker. I would encourage you to read R. Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. I would encourage you to give us a phone call or send us an email if you'd like to learn how to implement the infinite banking concept. So this has been a great pleasure for me. My phone number is 828-817-4223 and the email is durhamtalents at gmail.com this has been a pleasure for me i look forward to our next conversation have a great day take care wrong beautiful country here we are okay yep beautiful beautiful hello and welcome to the durham talents channel my name is jesse durham